The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Terry Walls. She is a functional medicine practitioner, clinical researcher, and clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa. She is the author of The Walls Protocol and The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life, and we're talking about both of those today. So, Terry, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So, where did your passion come from to to create this diet and this protocol? You know, actually, it it, uh, originated when I was introduced to the work by Ashton Embry up there uh, in Calgary. Uh, through that, I got introduced to uh, uh, the paleo diet and uh, would ultimately create a uh, paleo diet, a diet and lifestyle program that would get me out of my wheelchair, back onto my bike, back onto a very functional life. Um, so it began in so- Calgary, actually. <laughs> That's great. Good things start in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, good things start um, in Calgary. Yeah. Um, how did how did you so when when this started when you looked for this diet, um, what was going on in your life at that time? You know, I, I had been diagnosed with MS in two thousand, uh, and uh, I was uh, going downhill. Uh, I was seeing uh, docs at the Cleveland Clinic, and my physician there uh, recommended. Uh, that I check out Ashton Embry's work, uh, which I did. Uh, uh, now, at that time, I was no longer able to run. I could still walk. I was certainly having more fatigue. It was uh, apparent that the medications that I was doing uh, was not uh, stopping the decline. Uh, and so uh, I, you know, I, didn't, I did not yet know I would soon be in a wheelchair. Uh, but it was clear that uh, things were not going well. So um, at that point, I mean, if, if things were starting to decline, um, is that why you were, were seeking out something different? Uh, correct. Uh, correct. You know, when I was first diagnosed with MS, uh, I did what many physicians do. I started reading the scientific literature, uh, but I was just getting more and more upset because I, as I read the literature, I saw that it was a progressive disease that within 10 years, half will be unable to work due to severe fatigue uh, third, will have severe gait disability. And so I was just getting more and more agitated. My family convinced me to stop reading the literature, find uh, the best uh, uh, medical team, and let them take care of me, uh, it, which I did for two years. But then uh, as I was continuing to decline, when my uh, physician suggested looking into Ashton Embry, I was like, oh, uh, 
I was ready to begin taking a little more responsibility uh, and figuring out what is it that I could do. And so what was it that that you did that um, got you better? Well, so, you know, I'd say it was a a long process. Uh, I had been a vegetarian for 20 years. Uh, And so in 2002, I I went, uh, after a lot of thought and prayer, uh, back to eating meat uh, and adopted the paleo diet as outlined by um, uh, Lauren Cordain. Uh, I continued to decline. I uh, needed a wheelchair uh, the following year. Uh, and that's when I went back to uh, searching out the science. Uh, so I started reading some basic science uh, lab and rat studies and would begin experimenting with vitamins and supplements, which I would figure out were were helpful. Uh, they were they were clearly doing something because if I missed them, I was much worse, couldn't get out of, out of bed. So I was like, okay, they're, they're helpful. They're maybe slowing my decline. And so I started experimenting uh, with uh, targeted vitamins. Uh, then in the summer of 2007, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine, took their course on uh, neuroprotection, had a longer list of stuff that uh, I could use. Um, and I also discovered electrical stimulation of muscles and worked with my physical therapist to add that to my regimen. Then in uh, the fall of 2007, I had a big aha moment, like I should figure out where these nutrients were in the food. So I reorg- I, you know, I took more research. Uh, so I reorganized my diet to stress those foods that were rich in those nutrients that I was taking in pill form. And that's really when the magic began. Um, and within three months, I'm uh, walking with a cane, and then within six months, walking without a cane. Uh, in nine months, I get on my bike for the first time, uh, and then at 12 months, I'm able to do uh, uh, essentially an 18-mile uh, bike tour with my family. Um, you know, that's a, a pretty amazing story, and, and you don't hear that a lot with um, illnesses like MS where the decline just um, continues. I think it, it, this story gives a lot of people hope that there there's something more that they can do as well. You know, I, I think uh, it's uh, when, when people give up uh, any responsibility, that's really down the path of learned helplessness. Um, but if people uh, realize that they can do something, uh, be it a uh, diet, a meditative practice, uh, an exercise program, uh, they're more, much more engaged. And I think that's very, very powerful to be engaged, totally independent of the impact of whatever that specific diet or meditative practice or exercise program might be. I, I think when people uh, give up all control to the physician, that's learned helplessness, uh, and that's very, actually very destructive. Well, you know, I I agree, um, especially in my own case uh, with my uh, struggle with chronic Lyme disease. Um, I, you know, if I had um, believed what the doctor said, I wouldn't have even got diagnosed. Um, and uh, to me, it was that it it's my body and my health, and um, I need to take everything into consideration and decide what's best for me. You know, absolutely. I, I think. Um we have to take personal responsibility for the choices we make and uh, to acknowledge that. 
our health really depends a lot on uh, our food choices, our stress-reducing practices, our uh, physical activity level, our social network. And to think that our health depends on the physicians uh, is wrong. It's, it's actually very destructive and very uh, uh, counterproductive. Uh, so, so in that sense, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll agree with the uh, politicians who talk about health uh, is uh, in, we need to engage more personal responsibility for our health decisions. And uh, you know, I agree with that. We have to uh, uh, because that's the only way we'll become well. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, if it. Um it's in our hands, and there's nobody else who's as responsible as we are for what's happening to our own body. There is no one else. Uh, yeah. And it's time uh, physicians uh, uh, tell that to their patients a little more straight away that uh, medications are not going to make you well. They might be a useful tool, uh, but what makes you well uh, is your uh, diet and lifestyle choices. Exactly. So when we're looking at um, the, this uh, protocol, the, the Walls Protocol and diet, um, what, what is wrong with the way most people in the Western world are eating right now that's creating a lot of the, the disease and autoimmunity and unwellness that we're seeing? Well, you know, um, we are so addicted to sugar and high glycemic index foods that rapidly raise our, our blood sugars uh, because those foods stimulate uh, the release of dopamine, which stimulates uh, our, our pleasure centers, our attention centers, and uh, for, uh, for many people, creates uh, quite literally a food addiction. Uh, and so over time, once those the sugar and white flour got introduced into our diet uh, back in the early 1800s with the Industrial Revolution, the consumption of those foods have steadily increased. Uh, you know, so it's like 100... 50 pounds of sugar, 130 pounds of white flour, and that feeds the wrong bacteria, uh, the disease-promoting bacteria in our bowels. It shifts how genes are expressed, uh, shifting a body that should have been a healthy, disease-resistant body into an inflamed, sickly, disease-prone body. And then we're now set up to develop uh, chronic infections, uh, like Lyme's disease, or a chronic uh, a high level of inflammation that puts you at risk to develop an autoimmune process and then eventually an autoimmune diagnosis or cancers or mental health issues. Uh, but the root cause is a diet filled with sugar and white flour instead of a diet filled with vegetables. So um, what are the key nutrients that most people on a typical Western diet are missing out on? No, if we look at uh, the recommended daily allowances for minerals uh, and for our water-soluble vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins, and essential fats, we are missing, uh, you know, at least here in the States, I assume Canada's probably similar, um, you know, a a large uh, part, I think about 70% uh, of Americans are missing enough mineral intake uh, for zinc, calcium, magnesium, uh, about 85% missing enough iodine. Um, uh, half of us are missing enough uh, vitamin C in our diet. In uh, a quarter to a third are missing enough of the B vitamins. And the only reason we get even close to the B vitamins is all that white flour has extra uh, B vitamins added to it. 
Uh, and then if we look at uh, having a proper omega-3, omega-6 fat ratio, that's uh, probably 85% of Americans are having too many omega-6 fats uh, and not enough omega-3 fats. And too many Americans have uh, a lot of trans fats that are um, dehydrogenated fats. Uh, and we know that uh, when I went to medical school, we were taught those trans fats were superior to butter and, and were better for us. We should all be switching to these hydrogenated fats. But we now know that those hydrogenated fats are actually very, very damaging uh, to our cell membranes, markedly increasing the risk for uh, early dementia, uh, early heart trouble, obesity, diabetes. So the, the uh, inadequate nutrition is rampant in America and probably also rampant in Canada. And now we're talking about the micronutrients. So um, what, what are the micronutrients? Well, so the micronutrients are, are you know, the macronutrients are, are the things like how many grams of fiber, uh, how many grams of carbohydrates, how many grams of fat, how many grams of protein are in the diet. Uh, and that's <clears throat> the micronutrients are specific things like how many milligrams of calcium or zinc are in the diet how many micrograms or nanograms of vitamin B6, vitamin B12 are in the diet. Uh, and so they may be very tiny uh, in the dosage amount, but they're critical for how we can run the chemistry of life and how we can build the, the structures that our, um, our body needs to build in our brain so our brain functions well. Well, I think, you know, this um, is important for everybody to know and, and people talk about it more, but it's like we said earlier that we we are responsible for ourselves and we need to be aware of, of what we're putting in our bodies and, and what we're missing. I think we do need to be uh, responsible for uh, what we're eating. Uh, you know, and fortunately, um, our, our food pyramids, uh, you know, that, that in our, our dietary guidelines here in America, uh, the people who, who make those guidelines, we, we don't have any requirement that those individuals have no financial uh, ties to either agriculture or the food industry. And so the dietary advice uh, process uh, is influenced by financial interests of, uh, of the members who make up that committee. In the uh, nations where they uh, have the dietary advice committees uh, free from financial interest by law, those dietary recommendations look very different than the U.S. because they'll have a lot more stressing of vegetables and berries and a much clearer message about uh, the need to avoid uh, sugar and the need to avoid uh, these uh, flour-based products. They, they talk a lot more about uh, a diet that uh, just by the ingredients is much more nutrient-dense than the ingredients that are used uh, in the American diet. Well, that definitely makes sense to me. And we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Cherry Walls. And we're discussing her books, The Walls Protocol and The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life. We'll be back shortly. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Terry Walls. She is the um, author of The Walls Protocol. So, Terry, before the break, um, you mentioned some things that are, are being um, some illnesses like autoimmunity. And can you just explain what autoimmunity is? Sure. So, um, our immune cells are a critical part of how we maintain and repair our, our uh, body. Yeah, they will protect us from infection. They'll protect us from cancer. But uh, there's everyday wear and tear or overuse damage to our body. So the immune cells can come and do that mop-up. 
But when the immune cells begin to attack what is uh, normal parts of our bodies, uh, so in my case, the immune cells are coming in, attacking my brain, attacking the insulation on the wiring between my brain cells, uh, that you know, creates a lot of damage, that's multiple sclerosis. If they're damaging the lung, that's asthma. If they're damaging the joints, uh, that might be um, rheumatoid arthritis. If they're damaging the skin, it might be psoriasis. So they can damage a wide variety of structures in our body, and depending on what structure it is, that's where that autoimmune component is diagnosed. Now, interestingly enough, we know that many, many of our chronic diseases have uh, inflammation levels that are much too high. And there's greater awareness that it, even things like high blood pressure and atherosclerosis or clogging of the arteries have an autoimmune component and are now being studied uh, in some labs as an auto, in, because of their autoimmune disease process. You know, schizophrenia and even many forms of depression have many similarities with uh, multiple sclerosis and autoimmune uh, uh, processes. So I, I, I predict that in another 20 years, the vast majority of our chronic health problems will ha- be recognized to have an autoimmune component and will be being studied in basic science labs as an autoimmune uh, type of disease. Well, this is, um, you know, when you're talking about atherosclerosis having being autoimmunity and, and then, you know, basically diseases that are touching most people, um, yeah. th- this is, uh, um, is, is pretty rampant, it seems, at least in North America, that um, this is something that's happening and, and it, it makes sense that our diets could be a huge component to this since uh, most of us are eating, you know, the typical North American diet. You know, it, it, it's a, uh, as I mentioned earlier, because uh, sugar is so addicting and because the high glycemic index foods uh, like uh, whipped white potatoes, uh, bread, pasta, cereals are uh, all stimulating our dopamine centers, our pleasure centers, we're addicted, yeah, and the food is cheap, it's available, it's so, so tasty when we are so attached to it that we keep eating these foods that uh, often worsen our risk for obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, autoimmune problems, uh, mental health issues. Uh, so it's going to be very challenging to get us individually off these foods because, you know, they're yummy, they're tasty, they're cheap, and they're everywhere. Um, yeah, and and you know when when I counsel people to change their diet, there's there's usually this response of this is going to be too hard. I can't do it. It's the first thing that comes to their mind without you know because of that addiction, um, you know, and uh, um, it it's it's overpowering really to to think about it. And I know some people aren't able to follow through just because they are so extremely addictive. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, for many physicians, it, it's really hard uh, to help people uh, uh, see, the, see food as an addiction. Uh, but I think it, it, as physicians get more comfortable with talking about how uh, food can stimulate our pleasure centers and get us so attached to that food that it becomes very hard to let go 
of eating that food, uh, then it becomes easier for people to understand. If I treat this like an addiction, like I, I had a alcohol problem, I knew that if I'm going to stop drinking alcohol, I have to get it out of my environment, and I may have to get socialized with new friends uh, so I'm not tempted to keep consuming alcohol. And so if we're going to get rid of sugar, for some people that means getting it out of their diet and and uh, avoiding food-related events unless they can control very carefully uh, that environment. You know, that uh, that definitely makes sense. Um, when wh- You talk a lot um, about mitochondria. Can you just explain to us what that is? Oh, yes. So uh, mitochondria are little ancient bacteria that developed a mutation that let them handle oxygen more effectively about a billion and a half years ago. And they were engulfed by bigger bacteria. And this new organism was very, very uh, effective. Uh, it would ev- eventually evolve into animals um, and, uh, uh, of course, eventually into us. Every one of our cells has mitochondria in it that lets us more efficiently generate energy from the food that we eat, which lets our organs specialize. And the more energy that organ needs, the more mitochondria will be in each cell. So our brain, our retina, and our heart cells have about 10,000 mitochondria per cell. You know, other cells, like the skin, uh, don't have nearly uh, as many mitochondria in the cell. Uh, so for that cell to work really, really well at the job it's assigned to do, the mitochondria needs to be working really well humming along. And if the mitochondria starve for the correct nutrients, then that cell can't function as well. Uh, and uh, often the first kinds of problems you have are problems related to the brain, so pain, fatigue, memory problems, uh, mental health issues. Uh, will show up that way. Uh, Problems with vision and retina will also show up. And problems with heart failure uh, and heart-related problems uh, can show up as well. So when we're eating the typical North American diet, what's happening to our mitochondria? You know, the the mitochondria are uh, slowly starving. Uh, They become less and less efficient, less and less effective. Um, And so over time, there's this gradual decline uh, in function, uh, and we often attribute that decline to, well, this is uh, the, the aging process. That's why I'm not doing as well. Um, but what it really is is a decline in the efficiency of the mitochondria. Okay. So we're talking about, um, you know, your, your protocol. Um, can you just explain um, what that is? So at a real high level, there's the diet, a stress reduction, some targeted vitamins and supplements, uh, exercise, and some, for some people, electrical stimulation of muscles. Now, going over to the diet, uh, at a really high level, it's stressing lots of vegetables, uh, six to nine servings uh, of vegetables every day. Uh, so I can think of, th- uh, so it's three cups of greens, three cups of sulfur-rich in the cabbage, onion, mushroom family, three cups of deeply pigmented vegetables. And a cup, three cups would be like a dinner plate, heaped high so you can't see the bottom. Uh, So that would give you an idea of uh, how many that would be. Excuse me. 
If you're a petite lady, maybe it's only six cups sort of divided uh, between those three food groups. If you're a tall lady like me, I'm six foot tall, or a man, I generally recommend nine cups. And then uh, protein, uh, and I have different directions for vegetarians than I do for meat eaters. Um, and then as, as we move along into more advanced levels of the diet, uh, we talk about some, uh, adding organ meats and seaweed, uh, spreading the nuts and seeds. I, I also talk about the things that you need to come out of the diet, uh, and that would be removing sugar. Uh, I prefer that uh, people go low-grain. If they're going to have grain, it should be gluten-free grains. Uh, and I also remove dairy. Uh, because the protein in dairy and the protein in grain, particularly gluten grains, if you're genetically vulnerable, can really ramp up the inflammation uh, and make uh, all the disease processes uh, worse. So you have different levels. What is what does the first level entail? So the first level is removing gluten and dairy. I also remove eggs because eggs are the third most common food sensitivity that people don't recognize. So we ramp up those vegetables uh, with a target of six to nine cups, as I mentioned, green, sulfur-rich, and color. Um, and the protein, if you're a meat eater, six to 12 ounces of meat. Then at the second level, we uh, reduce the uh, uh, grain further. Um, I prefer that that be limited to two servings uh, a week, so that would be like a half cup of uh, wild rice uh, twice a week. Um, then we talk about the benefits of organ meat, so I recommend liver uh, twice a week, like liver and onions. Uh, if you're going to still have nuts and seeds, I recommend that they be soaked. Um, uh, it, then we talk about seaweed, and I introduce fermented foods. Then in the third level, uh, we talk about the, uh, why people may want to go into a ketogenic diet. Uh, and so now I introduce more fat in the form of coconut milk or coconut oil because of uh, uh, if you switch your mitochondria from burning sugar to burning fat, that can be very protective for the brain. It's particularly good for seizure disorders and neurodegeneration, something like uh, Alzheimer's or progressive MS. So we reduce the carbs further, reduce the meat further, and stress more fat. And then there's actually a fourth level uh, and that's what we call uh, the Wall's Elimination Diet. And that's, uh, again, I'll take people off nightshade, so uh, potatoes, eggplants, tomatoes, uh, peppers. Uh, and then we also take them off uh, nuts and seeds, uh, all grain and all legumes. And, and that's the, that diet's much more restrictive, uh, uh, so I really uh, target that uh, to very specific conditions. So, um, for the, all the different levels, is there a reason why somebody would choose to, to be um, more aggressive or, or on the third level than the first? So, in general, I have everyone start uh, in my clinical practice uh, at level one uh, because that that's, will still feel like a really big change from their usual diet. You know, giving up the sugar and the gluten grains and dairy uh, it can be very tough for folks. Um, after, uh, and for many, uh, I'd say about 80% of our folks get dramatic improvement with level one, and that uh, is uh, sufficient for them. At the next level, I'd, I'd move them to level two. Uh, and then if the person has rheumatoid arthritis so, or, or an autoimmune 
disease process that's involving their joints. Then I have them uh, do the walls elimination diet where they take out the nightshades because uh, those folks, they're more likely to have a a problem with tomatoes and uh, eggplant in particular. Um, The people who I would move on to the ketogenic diets, uh, folks with seizure disorders, uh, people with a neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, progressive MS. Uh, we may put someone with severe psychiatric problems on that diet. Uh, cancer, I would do well with that, that diet. Uh, and then after they've been on it for a year, then we evaluate uh, uh, what to do for their maintenance program. Okay, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Terry Walls. She is the author of The Walls Protocol. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Dr. Terry Walls. She is the author of The Walls Protocol and The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life. Um, So, Terry, before the break, um, you talked about um, after somebody does the the diet for a year, then you reevaluate. So what are you looking for to have change in that first year? 
No, uh, the, the first thing that we generally can see are improvements uh, in mental clarity, uh, improvements in energy. Uh, uh, a lot of the gentlemen will tell us that uh, any challenge that they've had with erectile dysfunction uh, are uh, resolving. Uh, weight uh, tends to uh, improve, getting closer to an ideal, uh, uh, healthier uh, body weight. So all of those changes are probably a reflection of uh, the lowered levels of inflammation. Uh, the improvements with motor function generally require uh, a collaboration with a physical therapist, occupational therapist, uh, to get those things to happen. Um, if the person is being treated for cancer, we'd like to know that they've completed their uh, cancer uh, protocol. Um, if, if they've done ketosis this whole time, um, then uh, what I like to get people to uh, is a seasonal ketosis where they're doing ketosis during the winter uh, and then a low glycemic index diet, either level one or level two, uh, during uh, the summer uh, and fall, uh, and then get them back into ketosis during the winter. Um, if they have a rheumatoid arthritis kind of problem, they're on the elimination diet, uh, then we can work with them to you know, gradually test uh, by food groups uh, to see what they can tolerate. Some of my um, RA patients uh, have to stay off all of the nightshades. They can't tolerate any of them. Some of them are able to uh, reintroduce, uh, uh, let's say, peppers and do well with peppers. Um, uh, and they may discover that they could have uh, fresh tomatoes when the pesto is in if they have it just once a week. So I'm like that. You know, I can do fresh tomatoes for my garden uh, once a week during the summer, uh, and I do well. If I have tomato sauce, uh, which I really love, on spaghetti squash, uh, three days running, I'll get a flare of my face pain. So okay. I try to help people titrate uh, foods that they could reintroduce, uh, how frequently they might be able to tolerate them uh, to get some, uh, some of these foods back in their diet. Well, you know, and, and and we're all different, so it makes sense that, that once you've cleared up the inflammation, you can figure out what is okay for you and, and what's not. Correct, correct. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about what ketosis is? So uh, ketosis uh, refers to your mitochondria, little cell engines, that can either burn protein, burn sugar, or burn fat. Those engines... Uh, if they have the choice, we'll burn sugar, uh, probably uh, why we uh, tend to like sugar the best. But they can also, uh, if we're only on a protein diet, burn protein. If we're only on a fat diet, uh, they can burn fat. Now, the advantage of being able to burn fat uh, meant that as our species, we could survive war and famine and winter. So that's how uh, humans were able to migrate into all these re- uh, regions around the world where we have winter for uh, many uh, months. If we weren't able to burn fat, we would have died out during you know, wars, famine, and we would not have been able to survive uh, winter. It also means um, that we've learned that when we burn fat, it shifts the chemistry in our brain in a way that makes us more resistant to seizures and uh, starves brain cancer and starves cancers uh, in other parts of the body. 
and it helps our brain make more nerve growth factors, which are little hormones that tell the brain cells to do that repair and maintenance function more effectively. So, you know, for somebody like me with my uh, progressive MS, it was very helpful uh, to be in ketosis, you know, a very, a very rigorous ketosis for 18 months. Uh, and, you know, and then I switched over to this low glycemic index diet and seasonal ketosis. Well, you know, it, it, uh, um, it's, uh, it sounds important, and, and with the availability of food that we have, um, you know, in our, uh, our culture, um, it's not something that people experience unless they are making an effort like fasting or eating a certain way to induce the ketosis. Yeah, you know, the, the, many of our religious traditions include uh, uh, seasonal fasting uh, and seasonal restriction of, of calories. Uh, and there's probably tremendous health benefits uh, that they're able to observe, uh, and that may have led to why uh, this these um, fasting uh, became ritualized in so many of our societies. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So when we're looking at the overall of, um, you know, this is basically a paleo diet, is there research that's being done on this? You know, um, actually, it's very exciting. So there's some research on the benefits of a paleo diet uh, and comparing it for treating uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, uh, fatty liver disease. And in these very small little studies, uh, the paleo diet's been helpful. I've studied it in the setting of MS, and it's been very, very helpful uh, in our studies. Uh, so it's beginning to happen. It's fun. It's very exciting. I'm actually working with my research team to do a review of the studies that have been done for uh, the paleo diet. Uh, so lots of fun, uh, good stuff is happening. Oh, well, th- that is exciting. Um, I think it's something that, w- that we need so that people can understand how important this is. You know, ab- absolutely. I-, I think it's important for us to see what, can- what are the mechanisms by which a paleo diet can be helpful. Uh, and what conditions should this be offered as a potential therapeutic option? Exactly. So um, when you started doing this protocol, how long did it take for you to see the changes that you wanted to see? You know, um, so I want to remind everyone that I switched to a paleo diet in 2002. I needed a wheelchair in 2003. Um, I added my vitamins and supplements. So it didn't cure me. I added a bunch of targeted vitamins and supplements, which was helpful for my fatigue, but I continued to decline, although at a slower rate. So they were helpful, but they didn't cure me. I added functional medicines. I had a bigger line of supplements, uh, and that was a little bit helpful. And then I designed my paleo diet in a very particular way that we call the Wallace Protocol, and that's when the magic began, and I had a dramatic improvement in three months. Um, so I, I think a targeted, intensive nutrition, very helpful. Uh, in my clinics, in our clinical trial, uh, people can see uh, reductions in fatigue, reductions in pain, improvements in energy at one month that will continue to build over the next 12 months. Um, but you can, you can begin to see noticeable improvements uh, in really a remarkably short time, uh, 30 days. And I'll say, comparing that to when I use prescription drugs, there's no, very few drugs turn things around that quickly. 
Well, that's that's really exciting um, that that you saw that that dramatic change. But what was different in that that walls protocol that was um, from the the paleo that you had embraced earlier? Well, you know, many of our uh, paleo diet friends, and I was probably uh, guilty of that, focused a lot on what to remove. So I moved all grain, all legumes, all dairy, uh, all. Uh, and I was eating more meat. Uh, I was still uh, eating um, uh, probably uh, a lot of meat, uh, not so many vegetables. Uh, and when I redesigned the diet and stressed uh, uh, which vegetables uh, to get, I was much more focused on uh, organic uh, meats and organic vegetables. But it was really structured in a way uh, that was much more specific that's when the magic happened. Uh, and because I'm a researcher, as I was writing about this, we studied the nutrient density of the diet. What was the nutrients that the diet provided uh, a week's worth of following the Wall's diet at each of the levels? And we're able to show that the diet uh, met all of the vitamin, mineral, essential fat uh, requirements uh, uh, that our USDA recommends. And I know in the diet world and people who are writing about diets, I am the only one that's ever done a detailed nutritional analysis of the diet they recommend and verify that it gives you know, the followers the key building blocks that their cells will need to run the chemistry of life properly. Um, well, that, that's encouraging because, you know, the, the things you talk about are a little bit different. Um, I, I don't think anybody else has ever talked about organ meats or um, eating seaweed. So what are, what's the reasoning behind those? So the uh, organ meats are uh, very, very nutrient-dense. Uh, our ancestors, uh, when you harvested an animal, a third of the carcass is organ meat. You wouldn't throw anything away. Of course, we'd be consuming that. And if there was so much meat that we had more than what we could handle, you left some of the muscle meat behind. You saved the organ meats uh, because our, our ancestors would have appreciated that was the most nutrient-dense. Uh, liver in particular, great source of coenzyme Q. Uh, it's uh, a good source of uh, vitamin A, vitamin K, uh, other fat-soluble vitamins, uh, including some vitamin E. Uh, great source of the B vitamins. Uh, some of the best sources that we have, vitamin B12. Uh, the minerals, uh, uh, it's a great source of zinc, uh, magnesium, calcium, that is very readily absorbed. Uh, so uh, great, great uh, nutrition. Uh, we'll have a good source of uh, the omega-3s, omega-6 fats, particularly if the animal uh, has been uh, grass-fed or is wild game. The seaweed... Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, like 70 to 80 percent of us are short on our minerals. Probably 85 percent are short on iodine. By adding seaweed, using it like a, a spice uh, when we're cooking, we can make sure that we we have a much better intake uh, of our key minerals. Um, well, it was, so um, for seaweed, you you just kind of have it all broken up and you just put it on your food. So. Well, um, so you you can get. Uh, dried seaweed, the big sea leaves, uh, and uh, make seaweed salad out of that. Um, and that can be actually pretty fun. Uh, I, the easiest thing to do is I, I like to get 
bags of flaked seaweed, uh, so like uh, flaked red seaweed, um, uh, such as dulse, or flaked uh, brown seaweed, such as uh, kelp, uh, a bladder whack. And I'll use that like a spice when I'm making a stew, uh, a uh, casserole, a skillet meal. Um, and out, so I'll add a, a tablespoon of uh, the seaweed flakes. It really adds this lovely, lovely flavor. Uh, my family and my uh, kids uh, just love the addition of seaweed. Uh, it's, and I think it's because we're all probably relatively mineral deficient, and the fact that we just craved seaweed once we started cooking with it uh, probably was telling me that we were all, uh, had some uh, fairly substantial mineral deficiencies that we were finally addressing by uh, including seaweed in our diet. Uh, that that makes sense. So if somebody's listening um, and and this is their first time hearing something like this, what should be the the first step that they take to um, start something like this? Well, I'm going to give you two steps. Okay. One is you, you got to get rid of the most inflammatory foods, which are uh, gluten and dairy. And then the second step is replace those calories that you're going to be missing with vegetables. So take out uh, the grain-based products and have lots more vegetables. Um, and if that means uh, more yams and squashes, uh, broccoli and cauliflower and onions, uh, your nutrient density will go up, your microbiome is going to be healthier, and your gene expression will probably be much healthier. Okay, so remove all the inflammatory things. So that would be sugar, grains, um, and any processed stuff. And right. then um, eat some of the good healthy stuff, the colors and the, the right. vegetables. Okay. So if and, you just re- replace the sugar and the processed foods with vegetables, that's a dramatically uh, good health-promoting step. And so what, what kind of changes would somebody see just doing that first step, just, just making the change of taking the inflammatory foods out? Well, the first week you'll think I'm the doctor from hell because you'll have uh, some withdrawal, you'll have headaches, uh, body aches. Um, the second week those symptoms will be going down. Uh, by the fourth week I would anticipate more energy, uh, uh, happier mood, um, uh, uh, better uh, control of pain. Uh, if there's been an issue with erectile dysfunction, that will be uh, lessening. Uh, and if there's been an issue with uh, uh, being heavy or overweight, uh, the person will probably be losing weight without being hungry. A lot of great things that they'll see that first time. <laughs> It, that uh, um, I, I don't know anybody wouldn't want all of those things um, unless I guess the addictions were were controlling the thought process more. But um, I think I think most people want to feel better. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So one thing um, I know is, is difficult when you're doing this is um, it's not actually socially acceptable not to eat the food that's around us. And I was at a kid's birthday party the other day and I didn't eat any of the food there. And of course, um, you know, people don't question me very much because they know what I do, but there is always comments of why am I not eating that food? So how can somebody get through the social pressures so that they can stick to what they need well, to do for themselves? Uh, so for me, uh, it's pretty easy. I can explain. I have a severe reaction that would put me in the hospital if I ate those foods. Uh, when people are in my clinics and my clinical trials, uh, they'll say, 
uh, my doctors uh, having me avoid these foods. Uh, uh, and so for the next three months, I can't have any of them, and then we'll reevaluate. Um, uh, uh, so it could be helpful that way. Uh, the other option is for people to simply say, uh, I- I'm choosing to avoid these foods uh, as an experiment to see how much better I can feel. And um, it, is it um, usually easy for people to get their families on board to do this with them? Uh, I'd say it's probably a, a challenge. Uh, it may be easiest if the uh, person says, let's do this as an experiment. Uh, let's do it as an experiment and then sort of negotiate. Uh, in my clinics, uh, we go for 100% uh, for 100 days because that's an easy way to remember. Um, and uh, some of my conversations, uh, patients uh, uh, and their families will have a conversation and it's a negotiation for uh, in the presence of the patient, the family's not going to eat any contraband. They, when they're away from home, will eat what they want, but they won't come home and talk about, you know, I just had this uh, wonderful birthday cake and ice cream, and there was pizza there, and it was just so great. You, you should have had them as a double dish. Um, so uh, every family will have to negotiate how they elect to do that. But certainly doing it as a family is most effective. Uh, and... Uh, viewing it as an experiment for a defined time period makes it easier. No, well, that that makes sense. Now, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or your book, how can they do so? Well, if you want to get my book, please go to your favorite bookstore because I want to keep those bookstores up and going. Uh, you can also visit my website, terrywalls.com. We have links uh, to books, uh, links to a uh, online course that summarizes this, uh, a menu service, a membership site. Um, I have an in-person seminar that uh, we do every summer uh, where I teach these concepts, and we, and we also teach clinicians. So we have lots of uh, tools to help people get this stuff going. And I'm at Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. Well, that's perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. I want to thank everybody for listening. We were talking today with Dr. Terry Walls, and we're discussing her books, The Walls Protocol and The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life. Uh, So just be sure to make today a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.